10, of the adjacent land, it is liable to be absolutely useless as a thoroughfare, it is actually a canal, but can be neither navigated nor crossed. There are some roads removed a little from the main roads which are quite dangerous, and it is not by any means an uncommon thing to hear of men with their loads being washed away by rivers where in the dry season there had been the roads, the great lines of Chinese travel, so often impassable, might be made permanently passable if the governor of a province chose to compel the several district magistrates along the line to see that these important arteries are kept free from standing water, with ditches in good order at all seasons. But for the village roads during my travels over which I have come across very few that could from a western standpoint be called roads there is absolutely no hope until such time as the Chinese village may come dimly to the apprehension that what is for the advantage of, the one is for the advantage of all, and that wise expenditure is the truest economy an idea of which it has at the present moment as little conception as of the average thought of the Englishman, a hundred li to the east of Hongxi Ai, over to impassable mountain ranges are some considerable mines, with an equated brass and copper smelting works, and this place, Kanshan by name, with Chong Shuanfu, forms an important center, as is well known, all copper of Yuanan goes to Peking as the government monopoly, accepting the enormous amount stolen and smuggled into every town in the province, why the smelting is of the roughest, though they are at the present moment laying in English machinery and the Chinese in charge is under the impression that he can speak English, he, however, makes a hopeless jargon of it, this mining locality is sunk in the deepest degradation, men and women live more as wild beasts than as human beings, and should any be unfortunate enough to die, their corpses are allowed to lie in the mines, who is there that could give his time and energy to the removal of a dead man, Tom Shuanfu should become an important town if the rich mineral country of which it is the pivot were properly opened up. Several times I have visited the works in this city, which, under the charge of a small mandarin from Sichuan, can boast only the most primitive and inadequate machinery, of German make. A huge engine was running as a kind of pump for the accumulation of air, which was passed through a long thin pipe to the three furnaces in the outer courtyard. The furnaces were mud-built and were fed with charcoal the most expensive fuel in the district, the maximum of pure metal being only 1.300 caddies per day. The ore, which has been roughly smelted once, is brought from Kanshan, is finely smelted here, then conveyed most of the way to Peking by pack mule. The expense in thus handling, from the time it leaves the mine to its destination at Peking, being several times its market value, nothing but copper is sought from the ore and a good deal of the gold and silver known to be contained is lost. I passed an old French priest as I was going to Tom Shuanfu the next day. He was very pleased to see me, and at a small place we had a few minutes chat whilst we sipped our tea. In Yuanan, I found that the Protestants and the Romanists, although seeing very little of each other, went their own way, maintaining an attitude of more or less friendly indifference one towards the other. The last day's march to Tom Shuanfu is perhaps the most interesting of this stage of my journey. Climbing over boulders and stony steps, I reached an altitude of 8.500 feet. Once thoroughly Lee of Pleasant going awaited us all the way to Langwan Miao Temple of the Dragon King. Here I sat down and strained my eyes to catch the glimpse of the compact little walled city, where I hoped my broken arm would be set by the European missionaries. The traveler invariably hastens his pace here expecting to run down the hill and across the plain in a very short space, but as the time passed, 
and I slowly wended my way along the difficult paths through the rice fields, I began to realize that I had been duped, and that it was farther than it seemed, to blushing damsels, maids goodly to look upon, gave me the sweetest of smiles as I strode across the bodies of some fat pigs which roamed at large in the outskirts of the city, the only remembrance I have to mar the cleanliness of the place, at Tom Schwan for the ref, A. Evans and his extremely hospitable wife set my arm and did everything they could as much as a brother and sister could have done to help me, and to make my short stay with them a most happy remembrance, it was, however, destined that I should be their guest for many months, as shall hereinafter be explained, a trio of Europeans might have been seen on the morning of Monday, May 10th, 1909, leaving Tom Schwanfo on the road to Yuanmanfu, whither the author was bound. Mr. and Mrs. Evans, who, as chance would have it, were going to shoot saying Fu, were to accompany me for two days before turning off in a southerly direction when leaving the prefecture. It was a fine spring morning, Bonnie and Bonnie. It was decided that I should ride a pony, and this I did, abandoning my purpose of crossing China on foot with some regret. I was not yet fit, had my broken arm in splints but rejoiced that at Yuanmanfo I should be able to consult a European medical man. Comparatively unproductive task and perhaps a false and impossible one would it be for me to detail the happenings of the few days next ensuing. I should be able not to look at things themselves, but merely at the shadow of things and it would serve no profitable end. Suffice it to say that two days out, about midday, a special messenger from the capital stopped Mr. Evans and handed him a letter. It was to tell him that his going to shoot saying Fu would be of no use, as the gentleman he was on his way to meet would not arrive, owing to altered plans. After consulting his wife, he hesitated whether they should go back to Tong Shuan Fu, or come on to the capital with me. The latter course was decided upon, as I was so far from well I learned of this some time afterwards, and now the story need not be lengthened. At Lightyoposi first section of the second book of this volume, Malaria came back, and an abnormal temperature made me delirious. The following day I could not move, and it was not until I had been there six days that I was again able to be moved. During this time, Mr. and Mrs. Evans nursed me day and night, relieving each other for rest. In a terrible Chinese in not a single moment did they leave me. The third day they feared I was dying, and a message to that effect was sent to the capital, informing the consul. Meanwhile malaria played fast and loose, and promised a pitiable orderly dissolution. My kind, devoted friends were fearful lest the innkeeper would have turned me out into the roadway to die before inner spirit would haunt the place forever and a day were I allowed to die inside. But I recovered. It was a graver, older, less exuberant walker across China that presently arose from his flea-ridden bed of sickness, and began to make a languid personal introspection. I had developed a new sensitiveness the sensitiveness of an alien in an alien land, in the hands of new-made, faithful friends, without them I should have been a waif of all the world, helpless in the midst of unconquerable surroundings, leading to an inevitable destiny of death, I seemed acclimatized, denationalized, a luckless victim of fate and morbid fancy, it was malaria and her workings, from which there was no escape. Malaria is supposed by the natives of the tropic belt to be sent to Europeans by providence as a chastening for the otherwise insupportable energy of the white man. Malignant malaria is one of nature's watchdogs, set to guard her shrine of peace and ease and to punish woeful intruders, and she had brought me to China to punish me, as is her wont, 
Nature milked the manhood out of me, racked me with aches and pains, shattered me with chills, scorched me with fever fires, pursued me with despairing visions, and aggroed me without mercy. Accursed newspapers, with their accursed routine, came back to me, all the stories and legends that I had ever heard, all the facts that I had ever learned, came to me in a fashion wonderfully contorted and distorted, sensations welded together in ghastly, brain-stretching conglomerates, instinct with individuality and personality, human but torturingly inhuman, crowded in upon me, the barriers dividing the world of ideas, sensations, and reality seemed to have been thrown down, and all rushed into my brain like a set of hungry foxhounds, the horror of effort and the futility of endeavor permeated my very soul, my weary, helpless brain was filled with hordes of unruly imaginings, I was masterless, panic-driven, maddened, and had to abide for weeks yea, months with a fever-haunted soul occupying a fever-rent and weakened body, at Yuan Manfu, whither I arrived in due course after considerable struggling, dysentery laid me up again, and threatened to pull me nearer to the last great brink, for weeks, as the guest of my friend, Mr. C.A. Fleischmann, I stayed here recuperating, and subsequently, on the advice of my medical attendant, Dr. A. Ferry, I went back to Tom Fu, among the mountains, and spent several happy months with Mr. and Mrs. Evans, had it not been for their brotherly and sisterly zeal in nursing me, which never flagged throughout my illness, future travelers might have been able to point to a little grave mound on the hilltops, and have given a chance thought to an adventurer whom the fates had handled roughly, but there was more in this than I could see, my destiny was then slowly shaping, throughout the rains, and while on into the winter, I stayed with Mr. and Mrs. Evans, and then continued my walking tour, as is hereafter recorded, during this period of convalescence I studied the Chinese language and traveled considerably in the surrounding country, Tong Fu is a city of many scholars, and it was not at all difficult for me to find a satisfactory teacher, he was an old man, with a straggly beard, about seventy years of age, and from him I learned much about life in general. In addition to his tutoring in Chinese, I had the advantage also of close contact with the missionaries with whom I was living, and on many occasions was traveling companion of Samuel Pollard, one of the finest Chinese linguists in China at that time, so that with a greatly increased knowledge of Chinese, I was henceforth able to hold my own anywhere. During this period, too, Many days were profitably passed at the Confucian Temple, a picture of which is given in this volume, and a book I book I I. The second part of my trip was from almost the extreme east to the extreme west of Yuan Man from Tom Fu to Bono, in British Burma. The following was the route chosen, over the main road in some instances, and over untrodden roads in others. Just as circumstances happened, Tom Fu to Yuan Man Fu the capital city 520 Li. Yuan Man Fu to Tai Lai Fu 905 Li, Tai Lai Fu to Tenchu Monian 855 Li, Tenchu to Bamo Singai 280 English miles approximate. I also made a rather extended tour among the Miao tribes, in country untrodden by Europeans, except by missionaries working among the people. First journey Tom Shuan Fu to the capital chapter XII. Stages to the capital, universality of reform in China, political, moral, Social and spiritual contrast of Yuan Man with other parts of the empire. Inconsistencies of celestial life. Authors start for Burma. The caravan. To Chekai. Dogs fighting over human bones. Lai Tiopo. 
highest point traversed on overland journey, snow and hail storms at 10,000 feet, desolation and poverty, brutal husband, horse saves author from destruction, the 100 Li to Kung Shan, wild, rugged moorland and mournful mountains, wretchedness of the people, night travel in western China, author knocks a man down, late arrival and its vexations, horrible in accommodation, end of the Yunnan Plateau, appreciable rise in temperature, entertaining a band of inelegant infidels, European contention for superiority, and the Chinese point of view, insoluble conundrums of John's national character, the Yunnan Railway, current ideas in Yunnan regarding foreigners, discourteous Fu Song and his escapades, fright of ill-clad urchin, seen at Yanglin, arrival at the capital, no exaggeration is it to say that the eyes of the world are upon China, it is equally safe to say that, whilst all is open and may be seen, but little is understood, in the Far Eastern and European press so much is heard of the awakening of China that one is apt really to believe that the whole empire, from its den to Beersheba, is boiling for reform, but it may be that the husk is taken from the colonel, the husk comprises the treaty ports and some of the capital cities of the provinces, the colonel is that vast sleepy interior of China, few people, even in Shanghai, know what it means, so that to the stay-at-home European pardon for ignorance of existing conditions so much out of his focus should readily be granted, from Shanghai, up past Hankou, on to Ichang, through the gorges to Chongqing, is a trip likely to strike optimism in the breast of the most skeptical foreigner, but after he has lived for a couple of years in an interior city as I have done, with its antiquated legislation, its superstition and idolatry, its infanticide, its girl suicides, its public corruption and moral degradation, rubbing shoulders continually at close quarters with the inhabitants, and himself living in the main a Chinese life, our optimist may alter his opinions, and stand in wonder at the extraordinary differences in the most ordinary details of life at the ports on the China coast and the interior, and of the gross inconsistencies in the Chinese mind and character. If in addition he has stayed a few days away from a city in which the foreigners were to shut up inside the city walls because the roaring mob of rebels outside were asking for their heads, and he has had to abandon part of his overland trip because of the fear that his own head might have been chopped off en route, he may increase his wonder to doubt. The aspect here in Yunnan politically, morally, socially, spiritually is that of another kingdom, another world. Conditions seem, for the most part, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and in his new environment, which may be a replica of twenty centuries ago, the dream he dreamed is now dispelled, China, he says, is not awaking, she barely moves, she is still under the torpor of the ages, and yet again, in the capital and a few of the larger cities, under your very eyes there goes on a reform which seems to be the most sweeping reform Asia has yet known, such are the inconsistencies, seemingly unchangeable, irreconcilable in conception or in fact, a truthful portrayal of them tends to render the writer a most inconsistent being in the eyes of his reader. No one was ever sped on his way through China with more goodwill than was the writer when he left Tom Shuanfu, but the above thoughts were then in his mind. Long before January 3, 1910, the whole town knew that I was going to mean dying Burma confessedly with a sad heart for I carried with me memories of kindnesses such as I had never known before I led my nervous pony, Rusty, out through the dung men the East Gate, with twenty enthusiastic scholars and a few grown UPS forming a turbulent rear, 
As I strode onwards the little group of excited Yonkers watched me disappear out of sight on my way to the capital by the following route the second time of trying, length of height stage above sea first day Chekai 90 Li, 7.800 feet second day Lightyopo 90 Li, 8.500 feet third day Kungshan 100 Li, 6.700 feet fourth day Yankee 85 Li, 7.200 feet 5th day Chanfo 95 Li 6.000 feet 6th day the capital 70 Li 6.400 feet. My caravan consisted of two coolies, one carried my bedding and a small basket of luxuries in case of emergency, the other a couple of boxes with absolute necessities including the journal of the trip. In addition, there accompanied me a man who carried my camera and whose primary business it was to guard my interests and my money my general factotum and confidential agent and by an inverse operation enrich himself as he could, and thereby maintain relations of warm mutual esteem. They received 30 to tail cents per man per diem, and for the stopping days on the road 100 cash. None of them, of course, could speak a word of English. The 90 lead to Chekai was mostly along narrow paths by the sides of river beds the intermediate plains having upturned acres waiting for the spring, at Tatyao 7.500 feet, where I stayed for my first alfresco meal at midday, the man a tall, gaunt, ugly fellow, pockmarked and vile of face told us he was a traveler, and that he had been to Shanghai, this I knew to be a barefaced lie, he voluntarily explained to the visitors, gathered to see the barbarian feed, what condensed milk was for, but he went wide of the mark when he announced that my pony, Zihog maimed and docktailed but Chinese still, was an American, as he said I was, a young mother nearby, suffering from acute eye inflammation, was lying in a smellful gutter on a felt mat, two pigs on one side and a naked boy of eight or so on the other, whilst she heaped upon the head of the innocent babe she was suckling curses most horribly blood-curdling, dogs the universal scavengers of the awakening interior to which nearest illusion is barred by one's western sense of decency just outside Chekai, where I stayed the night, had recently devoured the corpse of a little child, its clothing was strewn in my path, together with the piece of fiber matting in which it had been wrapped, and the dogs were then fighting over the bones, to Lightyopa was a day that men might call a killer, it is a dirty little place with a dirty little street, lying at the foot of a mountain known throughout western China as one of the wildest of nature's corners, nearly 10,000 feet high, a terrific climb under best conditions, a clear half-moon, and stars of a silvery twinkle, looked pityingly upon me as I started at 3 a.m. ignorant of the dangerously narrow defile leading along cliffs high up from the Ho. In the dark, cautiously I groped along, not without a painful emotion of impending danger, as I watched the stellular reflections dancing in the rushing river, did I wander on in the wake of a group of pack ponies, and took my turn in being assisted over the broken chasms by the muleteers, two fellows got down below and practically lifted the tiny animals over the passes where they could not keep their footing, gradually I saw the night-like shadows flee away, and with the dawn came signs of heavy weather, snow came cold and sudden, as we slowly and toilsomely ascended, the velocity of the wind fiercely increased, down the mountainside, at a hundred miles an hour, came clouds of blinding, flinty dust, making the blood run from one's lips and cheeks as he plodded on against great odds, with the biting wind, howling and hissing in the winding ravines and snow-swept hollows, headway was difficult, often was I raised from my feet, 
helplessly I climbed to the earth for safety, and pulled at withered grass to keep my footing, the ponies, patient little brutes, with 150 pounds strapped to their backs, came near to giving up the ghost, being swayed hopelessly to and fro in the fury, for hours we thus toiled up pathways seemingly fitter for goats than men, where leafless trees were bending destitute of life and helpless towards the valley, as the keen wind went sighing, moaning, wailing through their bare boughs and budless twigs, such a gale, wilder than the devil's passion, I have not known even on the North Atlantic in February, at times during the day progression in the deepening snow seemed quite impossible, and my two men, worn and weary, bearing the burden of an excessively fatiguing day, well nigh threw up the sponge, vowing that they wished they had not taken on the job, but the scenery later in the day, though monotonously so, was grand, the earth was literally the color of deep red blood, the crimson paths intertwining the darker landscape bore to one's imagination a vision of some bloody battle veritable rivers of human blood, to cheer the traveler in his desolation, the sun struggled vainly to pierce with its genial rays through the heavy, angry clouds rolling lazily upwards from the black valleys, and enveloping the earth in a deep infinity of severest gloom, the cold was damp, in the small hemmed in hollows, where to our pathway led, the icy dew climbed to one's hair and beard, from little brown cottages, with poor thatched roofs letting in the light, and with walls and woodwork long since uniformly rotten, men and women emerged, rubbing their eyes and buttoning up their garments, looking wistfully for the hidden sun, at shout by 8.100 feet a brute of a fellow was administering cruelest chastisement to his disobedient yoke fellow, who took her scourging in good part, I passed along as fast as I could to the ascent over which a road led in and around the mountain with alarming steepness, a road which at home would never be negotiated on foot or on horseback, but which here forms part of the main trade route, from the extreme summit one dropped abruptly into a protecting gorge, where falling cascades, sparkling like crystal showers in the feeble sunlight occasionally breaking through, danced playfully over the smooth worn, slippery rocks, a stream foamed noisily over the loose stones, and leapt in rushing rapids where the earth had given way, there was no grass, no scenery, no life, and in the sudden turnings the hurricane roared with heavenly anger through the long deep chasms, over the twelve-inch river beds at the foot, at Lytiopo accommodation at night was fairly good, men laughed hilariously at me when I raved at some carpenters to desist their clumsy hammering three feet above my head, Hundreds of dogs yelped unceasingly at the moon, and with the usual rows of the men in mutual invitation to, come and wash your feet, or, chin fan, chin fan, the draughts, the creaks and cracks, the unintermitting din, and so much else, one was not sorry to rise again with the lark and push onwards in the cold, down below this horrid town there is a plain, in this plain there is a hole fifty feet deep, and had my pony, which I was leading, not pulled me away from falling there into, my story would not now be telling. To Kunshan 6.700 feet. Past Yechutang 8.100 feet and Shiolangtang 7.275 feet. 100 li away. Was a journey through country considerably more interesting. Especially towards the end of the day. A peculiar combination of wooded slope and rough. Rock-worn pathways. Shiolangtang. 25 li from the end of the stage. Overlooks a wide expanse of barren an inviting moorland, deep, jagged gullies break the uneven rolling of the mountains, dark, weird caverns of terrible immensity yawn hungrily from the surface of weariest desolation, ever widening with each turn, 
Mist hid the ugliest spots high up among the peaks, whose white summits, peeping sullenly from out this blue sea of damp haze, told a wondrous story of winters withering all life to death, a spot in which in summer few places on earth would be more entrancing. But these mountains are breathing out a solitude which is eternal. Man here has never been. Far away beyond lies the country of the Aborigines, but even the Lolo, wild and rugged as the country, fearless of man and beast, have never dared to ascend these heights. They are mournful, cheerless, devoid of a single smile from the common mother of us all, lacking every feature by which the earth draws man into a spirit of unity with his God. Horrid, frowning waste and aimless discontinuity of land, harbinger of loneliness and of evil. People, poor struggling beings of our kind, here seemed mocked of destiny, and a hot raging of misery waged within them, for all that the heart might desire and wish for had to them been denied, if, indeed, the earth be the home of hope, and man's greatest possession be hope, then would it seem that these poor creatures were entirely cut off, shut out from life, wandering wearisomely through the world in one long battle with nature whereby to gain the wherewithal to live in that grim desert, there were no exceptions, it was the common lot, Each day and every day did these men and women, with a stolidity of long-continued destitution, and temporal and spiritual tribulation, gaze upon that bare, unyielding country, pregnant only with aggravation to their own dire wretchedness, in such spots, and happily in you and man not few, does the mystery of life grow ever more mysterious to one whom distress has never harassed, a great pity seized my heart, but these poor people would probably have laughed had they known my thoughts. As I passed they came in interestedly to look upon me. They watched in expressive silence, they were silent because of poverty, and I too, kept a seal upon my lips as I ate the good things here provided under the eyes of those to whom hunger had given none but a jealous outlook. Pentiful enough were it, thought I nearly to watch without allowing speech to escape further to taunt them. So I ate, and they looked at me. I came and went, but never a word was uttered by these men and women or even by the children, whose most painful feeling seemed that of their own feebleness. They were indeed feeble units standing in a threatening infinitude of life, and their thoughts probably dwelt upon my luxury and wealth as mine could not help dwelling upon their hungry town of hungry men and famished children. Words cannot paint their poverty men void of hope, of life, of purpose, of idea, happy for them that they had known no other. We ascended over a road of unspeakable torture to one's feet. Gazing down, far away into a seemingly bottomless abyss, we could faintly hear in the lulling of the wind the rush of a torrent, federal by a hundred mountain streams, which washed our path and in horrible disfigurement tore open the surface of the hillsides. The long day was drawing wearily to a close, as the sun was sinking beyond the uneven hills over which I was to climb before the descent to the town begins. The effect of the green and gold and red and brown produced a striking picture of sweet poetic beauty. I stood in contemplative admiration meditating, as I waited for my coolies, who sat moodily under a dilapidated roadside awning, nonchalantly picking out moldy monkey nuts from some coarse sweetmeat sold by a frozy female. Then upwards we toiled in the dark, the weird groans of my exhausted men and the falling of the gravel beneath their sandaled feet alone breaking the hollow's gloom. Uncanny is night travel in China, who knows but that ghosts, those fierce-faced denizens of the hills, they run against the and bewitch thee, murmured one man to the others, they stopped, and I stopped with them, and in the darkness, begging on alone at the mercy of these coolies, my own thoughts were not in synchronistic, 
At last, with no slight misgiving, we came down into the city smoke. Dogs barked at me, and ran away like the curs they are. Midway down the stone footway my yaman runner too cautiously crept up to me in the dark, muttering something, and I floored him with my fist. Afterwards I learned that he came to relieve me of the pony I was leading. Every room in every wretched inn was occupied, opium fumes already issued from the doorways, and it was now pitch dark, so that I could scarce see the sallow faces of the hungry, and coop crowd, to whom with no little irritation I tried to speak as I peered carefully into the caravanserai. Evident it certainly was that the duty lying nearest to me at that particular moment, to myself and all concerned therein, was to accept what I was offered, and not wear out my temper in grumbling. My boy, Lao Chang and I Pian, the brick, expressed to me his regrets, and something like real sympathy shone out from his eyes in the dimness. Papate, Papate, have no fear, have no fear, said he, and as I stood the while piling up cruelest torture upon my uncurly host, he made off to prepare a downstair room to lapse into modern boarding house phraseology, first through an outer apartment, dark as darkest night, on past the caterwauling cook and a few disreputable culinary hangers on, asked to look out for a pony, which I could not see, but which I was told might kick me, then onward to my boy, who stood on a stool and dropped the grease of a huge red Chinese candle among his plated hair, as he wobbled it above his head to light the way, he gripped me tenderly, took me to his bosom as it were, gave me one push, and I was there, he tarried not. What right had he to listen to what I in secret would say of the horrid keeper and his twice horrid shakedown in? He passed out swiftly into outer darkness, uttering a groan I rudely interpreted as, that or nothing, that or nothing, it was a room, that is in so far as four sides, a floor and a ceiling comprise one, of that I had no doubt, a sort of uncomely offshoot from the main in building, built on piles in the earth after the fashion of the seashore houses of the Malay but much dirtier and incomparably more shaky, for many a long year, longer than mine horrid host would care to recollect, this now unoccupied space had served admirably as the common cooking room the ruined fireplace was still there, later, it had been the stable the ruined horse through was still there, at one extreme corner only could I stand upright, long sooty cobwebs graced the black wood beams overhead, Hanging as thick as icicles in a mountain valley, each step I took in fear and trembling the slightest move threatened to collapse the whole dilapidation. Four planks, four inches wide at the widest part and of varying lengths and thicknesses, placed on a pile of loose firewood at the head and foot, comprised the bedstead on which I tremulously sat down. Upon this improvised apology for a bed, under my mosquito curtains no traveler should be without them in western China. I washed my blistered feet on an ancient daily telegraph, whilst my cook saw to my evening meal, his bringing in the rice tallied with my laying the tablecloth in the same place where I had washed my feet the one available spot, as I ate, rats came brazenly and picked up th.